0: But it's certainly good to see everyone back out um, this evening. As you can tell, tonight we're going to be talking about prayer. Uh, I think people believe in the idea of prayer a whole lot easier than they do in actually obeying the concept of praying. Praying. And so that's why I had kind of titled it the way I did, Belief is Easier Than Obedience. Well, for a lot of people, that is, in fact, the case. And so tonight, I just want to take a few minutes of your time. Um, I've been kind of running this through my head And I tried to stretch it out as much as I could. And I told Jason, I said, sing sweet hour of prayer and we'll scare them. (laughs) We'll we'll preach about an hour about prayer, but it's not even going to go half that long. It's probably going to be more of like a 20, 25 minute uh, lesson this evening. And so we're going to look at some passages and we'll look more closely at James 5 and 16. So if you want to turn your Bibles there to James 5. We'll be there in just a few moments. But we're going to read five different passages regarding prayer. And obviously the first one I have up there is First Thessalonians 5, verse 17. Pray without ceasing. You know, far too often we've just gotten this idea, and I think this is, some of it has come through, some of the false religions that we 've seen, whether it 's through movies and TV shows and whatnot, and we see uh, and, and you 'll see this even in other passages that we talk about, like in james five sixteen but people have this idea of prayer of literally going into a private area, and that is the only way that they could pray is going and locking themselves up in a closet or going into a, a room that has a partition where they could confess, have a confessional, right? And so they kind of limit themselves. They're not thinking about prayer in the sense of constant communication between the believer of God and God. Um, It was a few months ago. Well, I believe not. I believe it was just in December. Uh, brother Tim Stevens had gone he came here to Conway, and he did the singing, held a congregational singing. I believe he did some preaching for him too. But at that singing he he shared with us a personal story in, in regards to prayer. And how some brethren had came and prayed for him and his wife. And that he saw the value and the strength that there was to be had in prayer. One of the brethren had came over and, because his wife was very, very sick. One of the brethren had came over and said, God, we know that you're not always going to answer these types of prayers, we know that you have the power and the ability to heal this woman. You and you alone can do it, because the doctors and nurses, they may not have all the answers, but God does. And that just, that story really helped light a fire under my rear end, personally, because I began to realize how I lacked in my life of prayer. Pray without ceasing. I mean, that's pretty simple enough. Being in constant communication, reaching out to God who saved us, and this is especially true for me now that I've, when we've studied about grace this morning, and how it's not that we deserve a relationship with God, but that He desires a relationship with us. And because of that, we should strive to want to communicate our desires, which he knows everything that we want and that we need. But just willing to become vulnerable and and to open up ourselves to God. What's the harm in it? But sometimes we'll limit ourselves in that capacity. And we'll just shut ourselves down as if, well, God doesn't hear me. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that as we... Continue on. So pray without ceasing. And then we see there in James 5 and 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Or some translations it says, availeth much. And so we'll come back and talk more about that verse in just a moment. But Matthew 7 7. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. And so, part of my growing in my thought of prayer is, is that this idea is that we typically view prayer as just ask, and it will be given to you, and we stop. When we pray, we're just praying, it's kind of like a wish list to God. We just want Him to give us what we're asking for, but we stop. When we we pray, we need to ask as if He will give it to us, but then it doesn't stop. Seek and you will find. We need to pray as if when we ask, He will give to us. We need to pray with the mindset that while we're praying, we're seeking so that we can find The answer, whether it's seeking out truth or whatever it is, knock and it will be open to you. We need to pray as if we're knocking on the door and that God will open up that door to us. So when I see verses like this, that's what I think about in regards to prayer. But let's look at James 5 and 16 a little more closely. Uh, most translations renders, uh, utilizes the word fervent in the text. The New American Standard does not for some reason. But I'm going to read it again. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The fervent prayer... The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. And so the idea that we see or that we should take from this idea of fervent, fervent is a, is, is a strong word and so it should be used in that type of manner. In this context, if, if you were to literally try to uh, utilize that word in another way, you would say very strong is a supplication of a righteous man. It's energizing, it's uplifting, it's building. It's strong. But sometimes we will half-heartedly or with lukewarmness go to God in prayer. So this idea of the effective prayer is offered by a righteous person, a righteous man. Well, how does one become righteous? Through the blood of Christ. Think about that. So one becomes righteous, and we sing a song every now and then, I believe it's called The Solid Rock, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand, and in one of the verses it says, Dress in His righteousness alone. Because we're not righteous within our own selves. We can do righteous things. We can do righteous acts, no doubt. We can do godly things. Absolutely. But when we recognize the grounds of our justification and sanctification and our righteousness, and that those things reside in Christ and in Christ alone, And where when we walk and we are consistent in our walk with Christ, that is the righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus. And so, this being offered, this fervent prayer being offered by a righteous individual is someone who's leaning upon Christ, who's turning to Christ every day, every second, every minute, every hour of their lives. Pray without ceasing. Let's talk a little bit deeper now. Much of our prayer is not effective because it is not fervent. As I mentioned just a moment ago, we offer prayer so often in the state of lukewarmness. Just kind of haphazardly, okay, let's go through the let's go through the steps, right? And so we don't really put much thought, much time, much energy. That's the idea of, of fervent is high energy and having high regard for whom we are praying to. So when we have this lukewarm attitude that, where we just ask God to care about something that we just care less about, or we just don't really, it's not that we don't care at all, but we just have little care. And so we want Him to answer our prayer even though we're, we're not in it. Or we're not focused on the task. We're not focused to complete the goal. We're just doing it to go through the rounds. So no that's not going to be an effectual effective prayer effective prayer as the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much it has to be fervent it has to be from the heart and it's not as if we have to persuade god to answer us why do i say that because look look i'll go ahead and go to the next slide so you can see this verse 1 John 5 14. This is the confidence which we have before Him, before God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Did you catch that? If we ask anything according to His will, that's what a righteous man's going to do. That's what a fervent prayer will be leading us to. So, it's not that we have to persuade God to be on our side, but that we have to gain for ourselves God's heart in the matter. We have to be fervent and desire the things that He desires. Because if we don't, guess what? What are we confident in? Our confidence surely isn't in God. If we don't think like or try to think the way God thinks, because we have the teachings of God, so we know His nature. So it's not a matter of, well, we're just walking through life in a cloud of darkness. Well, the cloud of darkness would be sin. So I would agree if you're walking in darkness, it's, then you're definitely not going to know God's will. There's no doubt about that. But this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything, and sometimes people will stop, or they'll just kind of skip over this next portion according to his will. If we ask anything, he hears us. It's kind of like when people talk about how they'll say that money is the root of all sorts of evil. And it's like, no, no, no. That's not what the Bible says. It says, for the love of money, right? So it's not that money in of itself is bad, but we can kind of misconstrue things if we ask anything according to His will. He surely hears us. There's no doubt within my mind. Now just because He hears doesn't mean we're going to get the answer, right? We have an example, that the answer that we desire is what I mean. Uh, the example I would have you turn to is 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12, and uh, we all know this context well, or should, in regards to Paul's thorn in the flesh. And we could even turn to the other one, where, uh, talking about Jesus, where he went to the garden, he prayed. If it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Well, let's look at this one. This is the one I want to look at. So verse 7 in 2 Corinthians 12, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. And concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Now, for those who struggle with their faith in God, in believing the gospel, in obeying the gospel, following God, doing the things which he's commanded. They have a hard time with this because their idea is, is, Lord, if I'm faithful, if I do everything that I'm supposed to do, if I check off all the boxes, why aren't you listening to me? Okay, well, for one, God is listening to you. Well, why aren't you answering my prayer? He might very well be answering your prayer. He might be telling you, wait. Or he could be telling you, no. He could be telling you, not yet. That's another way of saying wait, right? He's not going to just give us everything on a whim. And so sometimes people view God as this genie, this wizard, that he'll just grant us these three wishes. And that's not how prayer works. And so we have to definitely be careful for for what we pray. We see here in Philippians 4 and verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And sometimes thanksgivings get thrown out of the door completely, right? How often are we thankful to God? How often do we tell God, Thank you for all the wonderful blessings that you've blessed us with, for being able to have good jobs? To have clothing, food, shelter, clean running water, electricity, internet, right? We take a lot of things for granted. Living in a country where we don't have the fear of of the government busting through these doors and just starting to lay us out and arrest us. For believing and teaching what we believe and teach. We receive far more than we dish out. And how often do we just give up a measly little thank you? It starts to put things into perspective. What about laboring in prayer for others? Uh, Go to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, and as you're turning there, I'm going to go to Philippians 2. Real quick. And I'll read Philippians 2 as you're turning to Colossians. In verse 3 and 4, "...do nothing from, selfish, from, for, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves." Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. If you haven't read ahead in our Sunday morning Bible class, I would encourage you to do so. Because we're about to get into a context where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And he essentially takes off the garments that he has and he dresses himself as a servant. This is Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And we all, most of us, know the rest of the story. You know, Peter's like, oh, well, if that's the case, why don't you just wash my whole body? It's like, brother, you missed the point. (laughs) His disciples struggled heavily while he was here with them. And so Jesus is going to have to straighten Peter out yet again. But Jesus himself came to serve, not to be served. And how often do we pray for others? And so what Paul was telling those in Philippi, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Yet how often do we pray for ourselves and yet not for our brethren? Not for others. But with humility, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Well, that's, that's difficult for a worldly person. That's difficult for someone who's not a righteous man, who doesn't pray fervently. So let's look at Colossians Chapter 4, Colossians 4. Look here at verse 2 and 3. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the Word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. Boy, if that's not a labor of prayer, I don't know because he's wanting a door open so that he can continue to spread the gospel even though he's been imprisoned for that very purpose because of that. And he says, I still want others to hear the gospel because it's going to be to their benefit. Paul's not necessarily benefiting other than he just knows that he's doing the right thing. So there's our benefit, right? It's our service to God is our keeping of God's will. But he desires and wants others to be able to partake and share in the eternal blessings of heaven. He wants others to be able to say that they have a crown of glory awaiting for them, a crown of righteousness. But he can't do that if he can't teach. Will God open the door for Paul to continue to preach and teach to others? Absolutely he will so long as it's according to His will. You see there in verse 12, down further in the context, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and f- fully assured in all the will of God. This is someone who's dedicating his life. He seems to exemplify the principle of praying without ceasing. He's exemplifying the principle that we read back in Philippians 2, doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but regarding others more important than himself. He's desiring others who are in the gospel to be able to continue to labor in the gospel and for them to be successful, to them for them to stand perfect and fully assured in those times of discouragement. Because that can happen. We can get discouraged and we lose focus, right? And when we lose our focus, what do we need? We need to refocus. We need to get our eyes back on Jesus. And so, what ends up happening when we don't take prayer seriously? Because the reality is is that it's easy to believe in prayer. That's easy. But following through with the idea of actually praying for others instead of just ourselves, that's where things can get difficult. That's where our prayers begin to lack. Do we have love for one another? Do we wish well for those who have yet to render obedience to the gospel? Do we pray for others to receive the gospel, to believe it, and to obey it? If not, this is an area that we need to work on, we need to grow in. And I've I mentioned this earlier. I think that's why it was on my mind, but I think the word thanksgiving jumped out in the text back a few verses ago. But we fail to realize that we've received far more than we give. We receive the grace of God. How often do we tell God, thank you? Is it two or three times a week just when we come together and meet? Or is it every day, every second, every minute, every hour of our lives? If we don't hold a true value in our prayer life, it will lack And we will fail to communicate with God. And we will fail to communicate our love for others to God. It's not a matter of, well, God knows my heart. That's not the premise. That's not the point. The point is, is we need to go to work. This is part of our work. It's praying for ourselves and for others. We're about to sing the song, There's Power in the Blood. Do you believe that? Is there someone in here this evening that while we sing this song, you'll be praying that they march down the aisle, whether it's to obey the gospel or to seek out forgiveness, to be reconciled back to God? If you have not been holding a value to prayer, begin right now, this evening, as we get ready to stand and sing. There's power in the blood. If you're subject to our public invitation, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing? The invitation.